Okay, so we are in the middle of a series on the book of Acts. We have been doing this for 25 weeks. We're almost to the end. I can see the finish line. We got 26, 27, 28 after today. So we got three more chapters to go. We'll be done by Thanksgiving. Uh, and, and this series has been so, for me, it's been very educational. Uh, it's been very enlightening. Uh, I've learned so much about how the early church got started, uh, how things got going. And not only that, but I learned about I've learned about how God uh, unleashed his people and unleashed his church and unleashed his spirit into the world to change the world for Jesus Christ. And that's why we're calling this series Unleashed. Uh, so we have been going through this series now uh, for 25 weeks, and we are in Acts chapter 25 today. Uh, so if uh, you got a Bible, um, I want you to grab your Bible as we continue on in this series Unleashed. Um, now, uh, let me catch you up to speed where we are. Where we are at, uh, we are with the. Uh we're with the Apostle Paul. Uh, we've been following his adventures for weeks now. And uh, he is in the city of Caesarea. And this was where the, the capital, it was kind of like the, the Roman capital for Judea. Uh, this is where the governor lived. And Paul was in the governor's palace under house arrest uh, because the Jews had accused him of violating the, uh, of blaspheming the temple, blaspheming God, violating Jewish law and, and violating the Jewish faith. And uh, so Paul has gone before the Sanhedrin. That's the Jewish ruling council of Israel. He's gone before the Sanhedrin uh, under trial. He's gone before a governor by the name of Felix. Uh, Felix was the predecessor to the guy we're going to talk about today. And his name is Festus. And so all of these guys uh, are, are governors or kings. We're going to talk about King Agrippa today. Uh, and so we're going to talk about these different characters and, and the role they played in getting Paul to testify before the emperor of Rome, Caesar. Okay, so this is where we're at. Uh, Paul is in Caesarea. Last week we left off with him uh, before Felix, and now Felix's successor, Festus, is taking over. Uh, he is the governor of Judea. Now, if you have a Bible with you, turn to Acts chapter 25, um, and we're going to go through Acts 25 today. If you didn't, if you don't have a Bible, you can use a, a Bible on your uh, a Bible app on your phone, like YouVersion or Bible Gateway. Those are two great Bible apps, um, or you can use the GFCC app to follow along uh, on your phone or on your tablet. Uh, you can get the GFCC app by going to your app store and downloading it by searching for GFCC. It takes a couple of seconds and it gets you all kinds of useful tools uh, for how to engage with GFCC the best. So we're in Acts chapter 25, and we're going to take a look uh, at uh, verses 1 and 2 as we begin. Three days after arriving in the province, Festus, this is Felix's successor, Festus went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem, where the chief priests and the Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented the charges against Paul. So the Jewish religious leaders uh, are in Jerusalem. Festus goes from Caesarea to Jerusalem to hear from the Jewish religious leaders, and they present their case against the apostle Paul. Now, if you remember, Paul used to be one of them. He was a, a Pharisee, uh, meaning he was really devout and zealous for the law of Moses. Now, Paul had an encounter with Jesus when he was on the road to Damascus. And while he was on the road to the ancient city of Damascus, a bright light shone from heaven 
kind of like these, uh, a bright light shone from heaven uh, and blinded him for three days. He was led by the hand into the city of Damascus to the house of a man uh, uh, named Simon. Uh, and, uh, he, and Ananias went to Simon's house and Ananias healed Paul of his blindness, baptized, he was baptized, uh, and then Paul began spreading the gospel, sharing the good news about Jesus Christ everywhere he went. And so uh, Paul had this encounter with Jesus, and it changed everything for Paul. He went, like I said, he went from going from being Christian enemy number one to being Jesus's big, biggest cheerleader, uh, possibly who ever lived. And so Paul had an incredible impact because Paul had an incredible experience of Jesus. And my question for you is, have you had a, a similar experience to Jesus? Maybe not uh, where you were blinded by the light, but rather maybe your heart was opened up or maybe your eyes were opened up or maybe your mind was opened up uh, to the reality of Jesus Christ and it's changed everything for you. It's changed your perspective. It's changed uh, your family. It's changed your life. It's changed your destiny. And, and I want to talk a little bit more about that in just a little bit. Uh, about having an encounter with the risen Christ. Um, so Paul is in Caesarea. Festus is in Jerusalem, hearing from the uh, Jewish leaders. Look at verse 3. They requested Festus as a favor to them to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem, for they were preparing an ambush to kill him along the way. So the Jewish leaders are so passionate for God they don't want anybody to worship anyone else, only God. And they did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They did not believe that Jesus was the Savior. They did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God. They did not believe that Jesus was God. And by the way, Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He is the Son of God. And he is God. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. Jesus is God. The Jews did not believe this. And they were so passionate about this. That they were willing, they were so passionate about the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me, that they completely ignored thou shalt not kill. Because <laughs> they're ambushing, they're planning, they're plotting to kill Paul. It's like, guys, if you're going to break a commandment, you know, don't break any of the commandments. And don't pick and choose which ones you're going to follow. So they're gonna, they've set up an ambush to kill Paul. Festus says, nope, I'm not sending Paul to you. If you want to come see him, you've got to come back to Caesarea with me. Verse 7. So, Festus goes from Jerusalem to Caesarea. It says, verse 7, When Paul came in, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him. They brought many serious charges against him, but they could not prove them. So they're bringing all these Jewish charges against Paul. has nothing to do with Roman law. They're bringing all these charges against Paul, but they can't prove any of the charges. And Festus is like, why are we doing this? Verse 9. Paul makes his defense, and this says, Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there on these charges? Now, I don't think that Festus knew about the, the plot to ambush and kill Paul. I think that he just thought that the Jews wanted to interrogate Paul and investigate Paul on, his, on their home turf of Jerusalem. And so he wants to do him a favor. They asked him, hey, can, we check, can, we, can you bring Paul to Jerusalem as a favor to us? Because by the way, we're going to kill him. 
Festus says, I, I, I'll do you a favor. I'll, I'll try and get Paul to come to uh, uh, Jerusalem. This is what happens. Verse 10 and 11. Paul answered, I am now standing before Caesar's court where I ought to be tried. I have not done any wrong to the Jews, as you yourself know very well. He says this to Festus. If, however, I am guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not re refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar, he says. I appeal to Caesar. Now, here's the thing. Paul says, I'm standing in Caesar's court. In other words, I'm being tried as a Roman citizen by the Romans. The Jews had no legal rights to try Paul on Roman charges. All their, their charges against Paul were all Jewish in nature. And so he's got, they have no right to try Paul in, a, uh, Caesar, in Caesar's court. Uh, and he hasn't done anything wrong or deserving of death according to Roman law. Now, if you were a Roman citizen, you could appeal to Caesar. It's kind of like in modern times when a court case gets taken to the court of appeals and then it gets moves up to a, a superior, it goes up to another court and then up to another court and then all the way up to the Supreme Court. You can take a, a case all the way to the Supreme Court. That's kind of what Paul is doing here. He's taking his, his case to the highest level of government, which was emperor, the emperor of Rome. It was Caesar. He had the right to do that. And so because he does that, he doesn't have to face his accusers in Jerusalem. He's going to go all the way to Rome. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to see him on his journey to get to Rome. Versus, uh, so Paul says, um, you know, I have, you have no right to hand me over to the Jews. Festus considers what Paul has said. And he goes, you know what? You've appealed to Caesar. To Caesar, you will go. So a couple of days later, the king of Judea, a man named Agrippa comes to uh, Caesarea. Now, King Agrippa comes there with his sister, Bernice. Uh, and Bernice was kind of in an illicit relationship with her brother. Gross, disgusting, I know. Look at verse 14. They're coming to pay their respects to Festus. It says, Since they were spending many days there, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. He said, There's a man here whom Felix left as a prisoner. When I went to Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews brought charges against him and asked that he be condemned. And so Festus is like, you know, what? while you're here, I got this guy, his name is Paul, and, and he's a leftover from my predecessor, Felix. And, and since you're the king, since you're the next level higher, what do you think about this? And so he explains to King Agrippa exactly what was going on with Paul's case. And so he wants to find out uh, if, uh, if he should send Paul to, to Rome. Uh, he, he explains everything going on with the Jews and why they're upset with Paul and how it has nothing to do with Roman law. L look at verse 18. It says, when his accusers got up to speak, they did not charge him with any of the crimes I had expected. Instead, they have some points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a dead man named Jesus, who Paul claimed was alive. He says, I don't even know how to investigate this. I don't even know what my next step is. I don't know how to, how to deal with this. And so King Agrippa says, you know what? I want to hear what he has to say. 
I want to hear what he has to say. And Festus says, all right, tomorrow you will hear from Paul. We move on to the next day. And King Agrippa uh, is gathered with uh, his sister Bernice and Festus is there and a, a lot of uh, high-ranking government officials and high-ranking military officials. And they're all gathered there in Caesarea in the palace. And they bring Paul out. Uh, and look at verse uh, 24 and 25. Paul's brought in and says, Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man. The whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting that he, should, he ought not to live any longer. I found he had done nothing deserving of death, but because he made his appeal to the emperor, I decided to send him to Rome. Now, the problem is, is that if he's going to send him to Rome, uh, Festus has to have some kind of written document that he sends with Paul explaining why he's sending him to the emperor. It's like, if I'm going to bug the emperor with this guy, if I'm going to bother the emperor with this situation, I better have a good reason. And so King Agrippa, I need you to listen to his case. I need your help to help me write out the letter that I'm going to send to the emperor about Paul's case. And then next week, so next week, we're going to get to Acts 26, where Paul presents his case before King Agrippa. Now, here's the amazing thing about Paul's story. Way back in Acts chapter 9, when Jesus appeared to Paul uh, and blinded him, uh, and Paul was led by the, city, uh, by the hand into the city of Damascus, and Jesus also appeared to Ananias, the man who healed Paul from his blindness. And and. Ananias didn't want to go heal Paul because he heard about Paul and, and about all the things that he had done. Now, he was persecuting the church. He was overseeing the deaths of, of Christians. He was um, uh, throwing men and women, uh, Christians, converts into prison. And so Ananias was scared of Paul. Jesus said, go. This man is my chosen instrument to uh, speak before the Gentiles and their kings. And here we are in Acts chapter 25. That's exactly what Paul is doing. He is speaking before the Gentiles and their kings, King Agrippa, and he's going to go all the way to the emperor in Rome. It's amazing how uh, Paul's life was this fulfillment of this prophecy to go out and to share the gospel, to spread the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles and to their kings. And, and honestly, it spread to the entire world. Paul was the perfect guy, type A driven personality, relentless. He was going to go out and he was going to change the world. That's exactly what he did. And the reason that he did, I am convinced, is because he had a, a, an experience of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and for the next few minutes. That's what I, I want to focus on one verse. I've done this for the last few weeks. I, I want to grab one verse out of this chapter. And I want to talk about it for the balance of my time. And it's Acts chapter 25, verse 19. And this is what it says. It said, instead they had some points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a dead man named Jesus who Paul claimed was alive. About a dead man named Jesus who Paul claimed was alive. Now, when it comes to this dead man named Jesus... I want to tell you right now, there's three things you need to know about this dead man named Jesus. First is this, 
This dead man named Jesus is truly alive. Jesus Christ is alive. You know, he appeared to his closest friends, his disciples. He appeared to a bunch of women as well. They testified that Jesus was alive. His disciples testified that Jesus was alive. He appeared to over 500 people at, the one, at one time. At one time, there was a crowd of 500 people gathered, and Jesus appeared to them alive. They testified that Jesus was alive. And the fact that Jesus is alive changes everything. You can go to the tombs of every religious leader who's ever lived, and you will find their bones or the remnants of their bones inside. You will not find the bones of Jesus anywhere. You will not find a tomb with his body or his bones inside of it because he predicted and he prophesied that he would be handed over to the Romans. They would crucify him, but he would be buried, and but he would come back to life on the third day. And surely, just as he said, Jesus was risen on the third day, brought back to life by God the Father, just like he said he would. A, a, a preacher uh, I've heard before has said that if a man can predict his own death and be crucified, beaten within an inch of his life, nails driven through his hands and his feet, a spear stuck in his side, a crown of thorns stuck on his head, buried in a cave for three days, and walk out on the third day just like he said he would, you might want to listen to that man. You just might want to listen to him. Because Jesus is alive. That is true of no other religious leader. Only of him. Jesus is alive. And that changes everything. We'll talk about that in just a minute. So Jesus, this dead man Jesus, is truly alive. Secondly, this dead man named Jesus is coming back. So he was buried in a, in a borrowed tomb. He was raised back to life by God the Father. He, was, uh, he ascended into heaven. And now he's sitting at the right hand of God the Father, ruling over the universe in power and majesty and glory, worshipped and adored by angels and all the heavenly creatures. Everyone who has passed on to the Lord before us has seen him face to face. But he's coming back. This is our hope. You know, we live in pretty hopeless times right now. Pandemic, politics, power-hungry people. We're living in hopeless times. We're living in very divided times. So many people have talked to me about how they're so saddened by the, the division in our country or the division in our churches, the division in our families. We live in divided times. So many people are worried about our future. They feel like there's no hope for a better tomorrow. And I'm telling you, if you're putting your hope in a politician, if you're putting your hope in a president, if you're putting your hope in a governor, if you're putting your hope in any place other than Jesus Christ, the future may seem pretty bleak. But this dead man named Jesus came back to life, and this dead man named Jesus is coming back again. This is our hope. The Bible says, God's word says that when he comes back, every eye will see him. We will see him. It also says that we will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. 
We will, uh, we will meet the Lord in the air and we will live with the Lord forever and ever. He's going to raise people from their graves. He's going to bring back those who have fallen asleep in him, God's word says. And we're going to live with Jesus forever and ever and ever. Amen. This is our hope. Our hope isn't who sits in the White House. Our hope is who sits on the throne of heaven. Our hope isn't in uh, some miracle cure. Our hope is the, in the great healer. Our hope isn't in a church. Our hope is in the king of the church, Jesus Christ. Our hope isn't in one another. Our hope is in our Savior. And that's a rock-solid hope. Our hope is in Jesus and he is coming back. And he will judge the living and the dead. He is coming back to take us home. Where there will be no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, no more disease, no more corona, no more cancer, no more death, no more sin, no more struggles, no more temptation. Just Jesus. I can't wait. This dead man named Jesus is truly alive. This dead man named Jesus is coming back. And finally, this dead man named Jesus can change your destiny. He can change your destiny. If you've never accepted his offer of salvation by grace through faith in his name, he wants to change your destiny. He wants to change everything. He's not talking about doing a little bit of remodeling in your heart. He's talking about doing a complete and total renovation. And he can change your life in the best way possible. And he can change your destiny. If you're a sinner, the, the, the God's word says that the wages of sin is death. That, that the wages of sin is death. That what we deserve because of our sins is eternal separation from God in hell. That's what we deserve. But because God loves us so much, he sent his one and only son to be our savior, our forgiver, our Lord, our leader. God sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. God sent Jesus to take our punishment, to take our place. And because God sent Jesus, we don't have to go to hell. But rather we can spend forever with him in heaven. He can change your destiny. If you will put your faith and trust in Jesus for salvation and forgiveness, it's very simple. You got to believe in him. You got to believe that Jesus is the son of God, the savior of the world. You need to repent from your sins. You need to turn away from sin and turn to God for forgiveness. You need to acknowledge your faith by confessing Jesus publicly as savior and Lord. With you, the Bible says that uh, it is with your heart you believe, it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And you need to get baptized. If you haven't taken that step of faith yet, we had a, a friend of mine came this last Sunday to get baptized. She, she's like, I, I've made my mind up. I need to take that step of faith. And she got baptized last Sunday. And the angels rejoiced. If you haven't taken that step of faith yet, give the angels a reason to rejoice. Give all of heaven a reason to rejoice. Surrender your life to Christ. Obey him by being baptized. He will wash away your sins and forgive you past, present, and future. He will give you a hope and a future, a promise of heaven with him. This dead man named Jesus is no longer dead. 
this dead man named Jesus, he is alive. He is coming back. And he can change your destiny. Because Jesus changes everything. I want to encourage you that if, if you're thinking about taking that next step of faith, would you reach out to us here at GFCC? Maybe call the church office this week, 219-924-6840. Or send us an email at office at gfcc.net. Fill out that online connection card at gfcc.net slash connect. And indicate that you're, you want to take that next step of faith, maybe getting baptized. Let us know about your desire to take that next step. And we'll take it with you. There's nothing more important than becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. The one who was dead but came back to life. The one who was buried but was raised. And the one who is coming back. And he can change everything for you, including your destiny.